as our series is kind of all about hashtag no filter, it kind of connects directly with the kind of year we, we've had, the, the age we live in, um, the way we see, the way we view, the way we do everything. So when it comes to um, society at the moment, we are in the age of narcissism. We are narcissists on whole new levels. Um, we've just got an A game going on. So I checked out today, um, on in- well not on Instagram, but on the Telegraph website, there was this article written about the top 10 images of the year. The top 10 most liked kind of viewed images on Instagram. And um, it was pretty insane. Um, the Kardashians had like six of the 10 places, like no lies, six of the 10 places um, on Instagram. Kardashians, 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 more Kardashians. Someone kill me now, there's more Kardashians. Um, it was just absolutely crazy. And then once we finally got through the Kardashians, we're on to Justin Bieber and his white boxer shorts in the water. It was a great shot, not gonna lie, but still, like, is that the most important image this year? I don't know, I hope not. Um, after that, um, we got through some people that I don't really know who they are. Um, they're probably famous, but I don't know who they are. Um, and Taylor Swift ha- had the top one. <laughs> you got excited, my daughter got excited about Taylor You don't even know about Taylor Swift yet, but you need to shake the boys off when you're older. Cool, so Taylor Swift was like the top image, and it wasn't even a good one. She was just looking down at something she was holding, and I was like, wow. This is pretty crazy, but it said so much about us as a society that when we look at what is approved, when we look at what it is we click likes on more than anything else, it's this idea and this affirmation that we place um, on a wide scale of celebrity culture, a culture which is kind of hollow, um, lacking any real substance. And so many young people, and the role that I have in my career is kind of, I've worked with young people most of my life, and at the moment I work with kids who've been kicked out of school, And I look at the kind of people that they look up to and the kind of people that they're listening to. And on such a wide scale, there's no reason um, for me to look at such people as your role models, as your influencers. But it, it kind of explains to me why society doesn't really kind of work by and large. There was an old Chinese emperor by the name of Shun. And he used to manage his whole kingdom by listening to the music that came out of the various different provinces. And when a particular province had some music that he heard and he was like, man, that is some messed up stuff, he devoted his time and his attention to that province more than to the others. But what we tend to do in our society is we go, that's a banging tune, let's go to number one. And so we affirm values that we say we don't want in our lives, but we spend our money on them. We we affirm messages that we don't believe in. We will buy into this kind of, this culture, this this huge, like, inflated nothingness. Oh, pickle. And when I think about who, who Jesus was, and that if Jesus and the nativity happened today, and if he was in his 30s walking around, like, I'm not too sure we'd actually give him that much attention. Um, because what it said in Isaiah is, in Isaiah 53 it says, He had no formal majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. So in the age of narcissism, where we listen to those who are most beautiful as young people growing up to have our worldview shaped, Jesus probably wouldn't get that much of a look in. And if we think about the governments and a lot of the values and the things that um, countries stand for, a lot of things that are pretty decent about our society are based upon ideas and, and, and different ways of looking at the world. Yet today, if we were honest, he might not get 
that many followers on Twitter or on Instagram. He might not get that many likes. And not that many people will be shaped by his ideas. Now this year there was a royal wedding. Charlotte, that baby that we've all heard about way too much. I mean, in the build up to the royal, like I said royal wedding, didn't I? Wow, wow, that is, that's jet lag still from Texas. I'm gonna claim that. It's been a week, but I'm still jet lagged. Yeah, we'll go with it. The royal birth. <laughs> She's getting married off already. <laughs> Straight out the womb. The royal birth of Charlotte. And how this media coverage ramping up to it was just getting more and more and more. It was kind of like, I was at the point where I was just going to beg, please just induce early, get this baby out. I can't bear another newspaper, another news article. And it just got more and more and more and more and more. And they were kind of building up to this grandiose moment. And then it's there and the photo's done. And then it kind of fades away for a little bit. And then it's back out. Oh, she's alive again. And it's all this kind of stuff going on. Now, today and with the next coming days, it's all about this birth of this baby um, of Jesus coming into this world and what's ironic is they actually did the build up even more intense than the royal birth and what I mean by that is the royal birth kind of happened like maybe as soon as she announced that she was pregnant they were on it so like what was it like seven months because I don't think they announced it straight away so seven was it seven seven six months they started just ramping it up and talking about it all the time well, with Jesus' birth, it was actually a bit of a madness because in the Hebrew tradition, it goes right back to this moment in Genesis, which kind of Christian theologians have labeled the fall, like Adam and Eve, some fruit, a talking snake, that kind of jazz. We all know the kind of narrative and the story. And as soon as that plays out, there is straight away an advert for Jesus and his movie that will be coming out in the next couple thousand years. Straight away, it's like, and the woman from her shall come a baby and the snake shall bite his heel, he shall cross its skull. It's like, wow, seriously? So they're probably quite excited. And I'm guessing when things carried on throughout the different traditions, hearing about it again and again and again, probably wore a little thin. Um, For example, in Isaiah 7, their nation is surrounded by all the different kingdoms all ganging up together. All the different armies around them of all the countries have decided all together we're going to eradicate them. So outside, there's multiple kings with all their armies surrounding them. And the Bible has this description where it says, and the people shook like trees in the forest shake in the wind. Basically, in street terms in London, man got shook in it. Like that is literally what the scripture says in Isaiah 7. That they saw who was out there, they got shook, they got afraid. And when they were looking for some comfort, when they were looking, maybe there's something to look forward to. They kind of did the thing that a lot of us do when the poo hits the fan. They looked to God and they were like, God, what are you kind of saying? And the king and the prophets. And there was this moment where the prophet said to the king, do you want a word? Do you want a sign? And he was like, no, I'm in such a bad mess. I don't even want to hear from God. And then the prophet ends up kind of coming out anyway. And what it says is, so they're about to go to war. Multiple nations are about to, to rush them. They're going to get killed. They're going to lose a lot. And some guy stands up, starts to give a speech. And it's not Independence Day. It is not that cracking speech before the planes fly off where you're like, yeah, we can kill the aliens. It wasn't like that. No one's on a hype. No one's excited. Some guys got up and as he's speaking, the king's speaking and he starts prophesying. And he says to a crowd as a rally cry to get them to go out and to fight for their survival. He says, behold, a virgin shall be with child and his name shall be Emmanuel. God with us. Can you imagine being in that army? 
Oh my days, I'm telling you, I would have dropped my weapons and gone home. I'd have been like, I've been hearing people bang on about this kid that's gonna come from the woman for a couple of thousand years now. And we're about to die. And that is the sign of hope that you give us. I am done. But it doesn't stop there. It continues on time and time again. Actually, it happens around about 353 times in the, in the Old Testament scriptures, promise after promise after promise of this Messiah. And so you imagine how the people must have felt all these years when everything's got bad, someone would be dropping bars about some Messiah. And um, it must have been really quite um, depressing. In Lamentations 5, it talks about it. It just again and again and again and again. And the conversation just goes on and on and on. But what I love about it, what I find for me personally that just gives me so much hope and so much meaning from this story, from this time of year, from the Christmas story, from the nativity story, from all of it, is that actually when we look at it as just that story in that moment, it gives us a really weird view of God that doesn't, I don't find that helpful. It kind of suggests to us that there's this God who just bang, clicks his fingers and things change. When actually, when we look at our lives so often, it isn't like that. It doesn't really fit into that kind of place, into that kind of system that we live in and when we look at how we live and the experiences we have and when we look at this tradition and this narrative that we bring up this time of year it seems so far away but when you put it in its correct place in thousands of years of tradition you see something beautiful you see a people who do suffer like you and i suffer you see a people who bleed like you and i bleed you see a people that lose hope like you and i lose hope but you see him enter the conversation. And so there's this, this conversation that is just happening in the background, that's just lingering there, that's moving on. In the Hebrew tradition, everything goes wrong with a conversation with a snake. The rest of the Bible is a conversation to get back to the image that was stolen that day, being made in the image of God. Christmas is when the conversation of God became flesh and blood to give it all away then we might have life, and life everlasting. The very beginning of the scriptures, before anything goes wrong with a talking snake, before any of that sort of happens, it's in this first verse, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in the original language, it says God, um, plural, Elohim, he created. And then it says that he created out of nothing, Barah. And then it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without void, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. And in the rest of the story, God speaks, and things come into being. And that's how the story goes. And it sounds kind of crazy. And then when you look at it later on, John writes this gospel, and the way he drops it is he goes, Oh, I totally get it now. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word became flesh and blood. He dwelt among us, He's Jesus, He's the Christ. In Him, all things are made and have their being. And it still sounds crazy until you look at string theory, which says at the smallest level, everything around us is all like small vibrating strings resonating the sound. Maybe Jesus is the very fabric of the spoken word that brings all things into being. And in the story, everything is knocked out of alignment. And this system that they call of sin and death and decay enters in. And there's only one way for it to be restored, for the tune to hum correctly again, to restore the song back to its original place. And so the very one who spoke it all into being becomes flesh and blood 
like those he created and he gives his life that we might live and that the notion behind the scriptures thousands of years of tradition is that one day after this he will come again and that everything will be back in alignment now why does what does any of this have to do with hashtag no filter well it comes down to this i found in my life no matter how close i get to someone i still have to filter things sometimes when i'm talking to someone if i need a certain business deal to happen or i need a certain job interview I crop the image quite a lot. Sometimes I chuck a black and white filter on, like, yeah, yeah, I'm good, I'm good, sometimes a little bad. Sometimes I have to tint it up a little bit because if I didn't, that friend might not stick around. And sometimes I find it exhausting putting all my energy into portraying an image for someone else to like. And there comes this moment at the end of it all when I'm just tired and I'm exhausted putting in all this shift just to be accepted, just to have anything. And then the worst part is, even though I put on all this energy for other people, the worst part is isn't that. The worst part is waking up in the morning. The worst part is going into the bathroom. Because for some reason, we all place a mirror above the sink. And when you are looking at your worst point in the day, you have to stare directly at your own reflection and see the horrible mess that is staring in front of you. I've had one or two moments where I've looked in the room and gone, oh my gosh, I didn't know that was me. Like, I thought someone else was there. It freaks you out. Those moments in the morning where I'm so uncomfortable with who I am, I'm so uncomfortable in my own skin, that I find it really difficult to get up and want to do anything at all. About, it, about six, seven months ago, I remember having a conversation with one of my learners. And some of you have kind of heard it before, but bear with me. And she was talking to me. She was Snapchatting me, taking pictures and that of me in the background while I'm trying to get her to do work. She's hashtagging it Jesus, chilling with Jesus, da 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 da. I'm like, man, I'm getting parred out here. This is hard. So she's tagging me in as Jesus, hashtagging it, this, that, and the other. I'm like, raw, okay, can we do some work, please? At the end of the session, I'm like, oh no, we're off site. There's nowhere to have lunch. Where do we go? I find my boss. She needs food. What am I going to do? He says, oh, take her out for lunch. I'm like, 30, she's 14. I don't really want to be walking around Canary Wharf taking a 14 year old to lunch. Like, I'm gonna look, P45, um, can't be a youth worker taking 14 year olds on dates. It's, 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 it's not, <laughs> yeah. So I end up taking her to this cafe and she's got no friends to talk to, she's only got me. So she starts having this conversation with me. So she goes, so Jesus, and starts laughing. I'm like, yeah, great. She goes, did you believe in God? And starts cracking up. And I was like, yeah, actually, um, mm, awkward, kind of do. Me and my wife, we started a church, sit here, we'll meet in a bar slash restaurant. She's like, oh, okay, cool. And then she says this to me, she goes, I want to believe in God, but I struggle with God. I struggle with God. And in that moment, I'd always tried to have to feel like I needed to put a filter on God. I need to put a filter on me and present me that people might get it or might get him. In that moment, I just, I don't know what happened. I just kind of said to her, she says, I really struggled with God. And I said, me too. And then she looked at me and kind of freaked out and goes, but you're the pastor of the church. If you're struggling with God, like everyone's screwed. And I was like, well, you know what? I remember having a chat with someone after their brother had been killed and I, I, I struggled with God then. I remember when someone came and spoke to me and um, yeah, this has happened. I remember if I was to talk about it now, even just a little while ago, about a week and a bit ago, hearing from someone whose daughter had been raped multiple times. Oh, I struggled with God. I didn't want to be involved anymore. 
Especially now I'm a dad and I can think about it. Oh no, I, I, I was out. I don't have any ant. I'm not Sway. I, I'm, I'm Sway. I don't have all the answers, Sway. I don't have it. I don't have all these answers. And I'm sitting there and people are talking to me about that. I'm like, oh man, I'm done. Oh, I, t- I totally struggle with them. And then I said this to her. I said, but the beautiful thing is, I struggle with God. And it's not him that needs to change. It's me that changes through it. And there's a story in the Bible that I'm going to finish with of a guy called Jacob. And the story of Jacob is, he'd been a dodgy guy all his life. His, li- his name meant liar. His name meant cheat. He'd robbed people his whole life. And in this one moment, he meets with this angel. He doesn't know at the time they start wrestling. And he just set, he, he catches up, he catches on to what's happening. And he says, I won't let go of you until you bless me. And the angel doesn't let go of him. And he refuses. He stands his gun. I will not let go of you until you bless me. So what does the angel do? The angel dislocates the guy's hip. So his hip gets popped out of joint. At that point, that's when you let go. But no, Jacob is still sticking to his guns. I don't let go until you bless me. And so the angel says to him, he says to him, you are Jacob, but you are now Israel because you have struggled with men. He was a dodgy guy, stealing from them, wrestling with them. His name meant hill grabber. You struggled with men and now you've striven with God and won. I remember reading that and I was like, he didn't win. His, his hip got dislocated. That is the opposite of winning. In the UFC, that's the end of the fight. You've lost. You're a mug. I didn't get it. I read it. And then I realized something. I realized actually sometimes winning in life is losing to God. And I realized that actually the most important thing is that you hold on to him and you struggle with him. And as you struggle with God, you lose. But when you lose, you win because it changes you. And that's what prayer is all about. And that's why today it's Christmas. And for me, what it's really about is it's about the conversation. Because if I believe what John said, that he was in the form of God and then was the word of God, and then he came flesh and blood, then that tells me God wants to speak with me. That tells me God wants to wrestle with me still. And so for me today and what this season is all about is it's about the one safe place I have and I'm now letting you in on the secret, the one safe place you can have where you can have a conversation where you can say exactly how you're feeling. There is nowhere else you can do that. Even my best friends, I can't tell can't do that but with God I can have the exact conversation that needs to be had and the best thing about the conversation is I can't think of a time recently where having that conversation hasn't brought healing to me bring meaning into this situation you start having some really important conversations with God and really fast and on the inside because if you don't they're not going to see the person they need to see and they're not going to have the person they need. And I had to become the safe conversation for them. But it could only happen once I had the conversation with him that brought the transformation for me to be able to be what they needed. So actually the conversation isn't just for my benefit because the gospel isn't narcissistic. But it's saved by grace for good works that we can be salt and light that Jesus spoke about. I'm going to pray for us and then I'm going to wrap things up for today. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your love. I thank you, Father, that you allow us the privilege to come to you exactly as we are, even first thing in the morning when I look the way I do in the mirror. You let me come just as I am, with all the weird parts about me, all the wrong parts, all the disgusting parts, all the good, everything, all together. You accept me as I am. Father, I thank you that you have promised to never leave me this way and that you will stick with me through it all. 
I thank you that promise isn't exclusive to me, but it's for everyone who wants to have the conversation or like Jacob to wrestle with you. My prayer is that as we come up to Christmas and pass Christmas into the new year, we would have found a new safe place where we have no filter, where we can talk to you exactly about where we're at, what we're going through and what we're facing, knowing that you are the one who can bring change into our lives, not just for our own benefit, but for the benefit of our families, our loved ones and our communities. Because as you change us, we will be agents of change within those spheres of influence. Holy Spirit, would you come and bring healing to us? Would you minister to us? Would you do something amazing through this holiday period? In Jesus' name, amen. He predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. So ultimately, when we come to him no filter, we end up leaving better than we've ever looked.